On this show, we had with us Paul. Paul is someone who has done it all, be it studying at some of the top schools around the globe, TUM, CDTM, MIT, you name it, traveling the world or working at fancy-ass consulting companies. But interestingly, just like you and me, Paul struggles to find the meaning of life and his purpose. Paul opens up about the frustration and emotional chaos in life led by not putting a lot of thought into what he did and just doing things that the society values. I personally really liked the conversation because I find myself hooked to doing things that people around me might value and just not putting a lot of thought into what I personally like and uh, the, I should really work on that. Um, if, if you could take away one thing from this conversation with Paul, um, it would be that happiness comes with doing things that feel deep down right to you. And that might not be something that you're really passionate about. I hope you enjoy the conversation. smartness for you personally uh, for me personally mm-hmm. um, smartness is a situational factor you like I don't think you can or for me it it never really worked to say from the start that a person is smart hence he or she will do really well in a certain situation but there's um, the world is so difficult to analyze as a sort of a white box to just dig into someone's brain and give them some numbers and let them crunch the numbers and see what comes out afterwards and maybe let them analyze some some visuals and see how a certain form folds etc um, that all those metrics will not really matter and so the way to judge smartness for me I would say is um, it's like a black box you just put someone or you experience something with someone and you don't know what's going on in the head but whatever comes out of that situation you would say oh man that's smart you know and it's it's a lot about um not understanding the things so what you perceive as smart to a certain extent is that you don't understand them Absolutely. I don't think, um, you know, I, afterwards I could probably say what exactly I found smart in a certain uh, person. But, um, you know, I think smart is, a, is, an, is one adjective um, that you use to describe someone. Um, and I think whenever you try to narrow something down too much, you will fail in measuring what exactly you wanted. You know, mm-hmm. I once had a really good conversation with um, a course uh, leader at, at uh, the university and um, we didn't have fixed metrics for that course. So we didn't know what exactly would mean um, or what exactly we would need to get a 1.0 or 1.3 or a 2.7. Um, it was just not defined. Um, and I asked him why that was because it would be much easier to just optimize your performance so that you get a, you get a really good grade. And he told me exactly, um, basically, uh, he saw through my argumentation. He was like, Paul, the thing is, if we give you some metrics, you will optimize the metrics. You will not optimize your performance, which indicates that your performance overall, also as a person, cannot really be measured by a single metric or will be flawed. Because then you start only um, optimizing for these certain metrics, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, in a way, I, I, I think we, we can see it happen all the time. Um, people optimize for grades, people optimize for certain qualitative indicators that prove how smart they are like the big consulting firms for example or the big investment banks and all of those are somehow um, approximating metrics to 
I would say basically um, indicate your intelligence. But then again, it's you're optimizing for one adjective only. And mm -hmm. if I would if I were to, to describe you, for example, I would need at least five to six adjectives to, you know, he's calm, for example, he's sincere, etc. All these metrics um, will not be included if you ask me if he's smart or not. Mm -hmm. you know? I can probably say, yeah, he's not stupid, but what would that help you? Mm -hmm. Like, If you don't have the intuition, for example, to read social situations, your smartness won't help you. It's... Um, so what is smart? Um, the wrong metric. <laughs> That's what I would say. And that is consequential because while you were talking and preparation for the podcast, we thought that being smart is something that in these days we care a lot about. And um, what you said is we need to think more carefully in what areas are we really gifted and enjoy doing what we're doing mm. and eventually we'll end up with um, some form of success independent of what is considered smart of, mm -hmm. by by other people now i want you to share with us a situation where you felt dumb mm -hmm. and get a better idea of how you evaluate yourself when you say that smart is not a good metric because obviously we have that sense at points man that was really stupid thing to do mm -hmm. so you can think of an example and in the meantime i give our listeners a short intro mm -hmm. to your uh, to your life so far so paul studied um, management and technology in bachelors and masters we met in the i think it was the third semester on the soccer field at least that's the first uh, mm -hmm. meeting i remember then paul went on to become a tutor for was it um a software iced Yeah, software, software engineering, engineering, yeah. And that is where he gained his confident and uh, <laughs> engaging style of presenting a topic, um, I assume. I no, I don't think so. You already had that, right? I might have, um, I might have gotten it from my parents. All right, you, you had a chance That's to fun. practice there, <laughs> yeah. um, at least. Then you did some uh, work for a management consulting company. Um, Before in your masters, you joined uh, the CDTM, did the cool projects there, and then went to Bologna to mm -hmm. pursue your interest in politics and world mm -hmm. events, and then to went to MIT, and from there, I still remember. Maybe that's too much already for the short intro, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I keep it for later. For now, after MIT, you eventually took the plunge and really decided for that area of um, governmental NGO work when you wrote your thesis about refugee entrepreneurship in Lebanon. And right after that, you helped an NGO, Faros, to uh, help companies conceive new ways of integrating. Help themselves. Help themselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so now Paul graduated few months ago mm -hmm. and is about to decide which direction he wants to take and uh, also listening to that very short summary of your life what was a moment where you thought man that was really not so smart of me um, I, I think one moment that I still feel um, was really stupid and um, Not in, the, not in the stupid, stupid way where you just oversaw a, a crucial detail or you missed a deadline or something, but really um, deeply tilted character, uh, like flaws in the character that I should have noticed, but it didn't, um, was when I came back from Boston and somehow I was thinking, okay, This needs to be my time to shine now. Um, I'm going to do that research in Lebanon and I'm going to stay there for half a year. But obviously afterwards, I want to go to an Ivy League school or somewhere else. Like I want to do another master in politics. And it's basically all I think the understanding I had before 
um, I think before I returned from uh, the US um, about the arbitrary the arbitrary nature of um, of CVs and the arbitrarity of uh, positions that you held and um, all these kind of status things and power I just simply forgot and I like retrospectively and I, I struggled with that so much uh, retrospectively I would say that was this one of the most stupid moments of my life mm -hmm. so you already knew that you had that tendency to do things just for let's put it that way status mm. you had already realized this but then after being in boston you sort of had a how you say a relapse yeah somehow in a way. i wouldn't say that i had that i had it i think i might have had it in um I mean, if you're studying business, um, at least from my perspective, you're prone to get fucked. If you like, if you're not very like bulletproof, the stuff that they teach you in business classes will get to your head at some point, and you will think that these big names that I don't know. Mm -hmm. the, we all know them the um, consulting companies yeah. exactly that this is what you should strive for do you like probably 90 percent of the people who studied who studied business one way or another they will they will fall into that trap and so i did but i think it was still manageable mm -hmm. the really the really very difficult thing for me to realize after um after coming back from the uh, US was that suddenly um, I was I think I was even attributing my value as a person to whether or not I would make it into one of those programs, programs. Mm -hmm. and um, thinking it through um, where why I wanted to do that um, so badly uh, is really because of I guess power you know you always say or you hear that very often that money and power are two very important drivers that guide you to the wrong way and I was thinking to myself ah, no way I'm gonna fall for that money is not important to me and I think that's uh, that was true at all times, but also power. I'm not the kind of person to exaggerate power. I really don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, it's not it's not something that I find attractive. Mm -hmm. But retrospectively, what else was it that motivated me so much and made me almost sick mm -hmm. um, that I wanted to to so badly reach that certain position without even knowing what I was going to do afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I think it was power. You know, if you want to break it down to one word, I think the aspiration of power and being respected, that was the thing. And that's why I think this is amongst the most stupid things I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I, I simply did not realize. And um, of course, I mean, You don't need to tell you that it's very, very competitive to get into um, certain very good universities. And I think you know me also. I'm not the academic type of guy. I'm, I don't really care about grades. My, my grades are not bad. I, I don't know your work. I tried to read your thesis, actually. Yeah. To, to, but I couldn't find it on the internet. Oh, I need to send you a link then. Mm -hmm. um, but we will link it in the show notes. Yeah. So um, yeah, I actually uploaded Paul's academic achievements. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not the typical, I'm, I'm not, I'm simply not the person who goes to an elite university because of supreme analytical capabilities, mm -hmm. L you know, let alone that it's just simply not my type of personality. Mm -hmm. And so it was, I would say pretty obvious that for any person, it's pretty obvious that they're not going to get in. And if they get in, it's, it's a huge streak of luck for anyone but um, I would say especially for me 
not very likely. Um, and so I didn't get in and it put me in a very, very bad position. It's uh, really, there were some other factors impacting the way that I felt back in the days, but also um, it, it was very problematic for me to, to realize that. And I got into thinking, well, maybe you're just not good enough, Paul. And that's, I mean, that's, that's just stupidity. I, I don't know how, how else I can put it. And, but not in a way that you fuck something up and you feel um, like you, you know, you're, you're, you're stupid, mm -hmm. but in a way that you simply don't get the rules of life mm -hmm. or you actively forgot or bend the rules of life. And that's just, that's something very dumb. Mm -hmm. Could you put your finger on what it was that triggered that? You mean the, um, was it process of recognizing that or the process of truth? The process of getting in? into this. Um, it's very hard to say. Um, I would think it's probably Some part of it was that I didn't really know what I was going to do after finishing my studies. So I had to find some, I wanted to find something. Mm -hmm. um, and another part of me was that I was not really comfortable with the career I had chosen so far. Mm -hmm. I could not see myself working in a consulting company um, or in a for-profit business. I, I simply felt that wouldn't really align with my um with my personality mm, but for some reason I I didn't really see the way um, out of that career that I had, had molded mm -hmm. so far mm -hmm. and so I was trying really hard and of course if you if you don't really like what you studied the gates are open to study something new any day you know it's not a problem at all um, and if there's a deadline that you missed then you can still sit in the courses and talk to the professors and you know I'm pretty confident that they will allow you to to listen in if you're interested um, so yeah that that is a way to change your career but at the same time I was I was also thinking a lot about my like what what defines me as a person and I would say that probably um, I somehow internalized that um, buzzwords will buy you respect. Mm -hmm. And that's true. In many situations, I think that is true. Um, but I also think it's almost never true for the situations that count. Mm -hmm. Like my girlfriend doesn't care that I went to MIT. <laughs> <laughs> she just she's it's not important to her my girlfriend hates the word cgtm <laughs> she gets annoyed by it but if i join some random group of tomivel people standing there with their stupid suits and talking about the stupid uh internships and i say that i went to mit there will be some level of recognition you know mm -hmm. respect yeah. um And the same thing is, you know, and it's, we can't help it. We're human beings. If I was a professor at Harvard and I was telling you this, you would probably rank it up some levels in how influential it was. Mm -hmm. So there is a truth to that. Um, but I just did it. I, I just took it to the extreme, you know, mm -hmm. um, and I couldn't pinpoint a single moment in time uh, when that happened but I would say it carried over the Atlantic with me when I came home and I had all this spirit from Cambridge and I was thinking hey the gates are open you have to go through them mm -hmm. yeah yeah I very much agree definitely I, I can empathize with your experience and it builds up over a long time and then only once it becomes unsustainable once you hit uh, a dead end mm -hmm. you don't get accepted into that company you don't get accepted into that program then you're forced to contemplate hey is this really is this as you said the meaning of life 
for me. Mm. And I think a lot is not that these situations make you the person who you are, but they only help you to correct on. So there's one saying that I really like is in the long run, failures get you to where you should be. You try out a lot of different things that don't mm. work because I don't know, um, it's a bad time. Um, you don't meet the right people. Maybe you are not that person. You don't got the skills that the talent needed to do this. So in the mm. long run, all this experimentation will slowly drive you towards the things that you um, that you're meant to do. Um, yeah. I wanted just to recap on this. So you said that it's um, this sense of uncertainty, not knowing what I want to do mm -hmm. and this feeling of what have I achieved so far? What can I show to other people that made it even more intense, this will to get into that one program? Mm -hmm. Now, I was wondering, what do you then think about that advice that people often give out, um, follow your passion or follow what you like to do? Would you say that uh, was any help in that situation for you? Did you think like, hey, now I need to follow my passion? Um, I don't know, man. Follow your passion is, I think, it's one of the most stupid things you you could tell a person, because probably you're offending a lot of people out yeah, there. Following yeah, yeah, feel passion. offended. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, but I think absolutely follow your passion. It's great if you know what your passion is. Um, and once you started studying. Uh, business. It's, you mean it's already that train has left the station. <laughs> once I mean, started, so the train hasn't left the station yet, but you you probably don't need business to to follow your passion. So I think follow your passion is another one of those sayings that fit in that fit nicely into a situation that has already evolved. Um, and like when I when I think of follow your passion. Um, like I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, the people that I spent my childhood with, um, friends of mine who, you know, there's two, two friends of mine who, um, who I grew up with and I played in that little village where I grew up, uh, like 700 people. And I'm going to tell that story because they don't speak English, I think, and they will not see this podcast. Um, but you know, the, both of them are, they're a little older than me like 28, 29, something like that. They're both jobless. One, one, I think, is on the way to becoming an alcoholic. And the whole family structure around, you know, if you grow up on a farm and your dad's a farmer, you don't get those very liberal thoughts of, why don't you go to the next city and study? Why don't you focus on your high school? Even that, you know? So you tell someone like that, follow your passion. Maybe there's not even the right there's not even the, the fertile ground for them to to take that thought. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it brings, brings us down to how complex life is and follow your passion is great if you can afford it. Um, if you have a passion that somehow fits into certain things and also follow your passion um, is kind of an advice that can turn out really badly in the, in the long run, you know, because imagine you are really good at playing computer games. And um, a friend of mine was really good at playing computer games when we, uh, when we were teens mm -hmm. um, playing, I don't know, um, in the top 3% worldwide in Destiny. It's like a, like Counter-Strike, but in space. Shout out to the Destiny <laughs> Shout out to the Destiny community. Um, and you're really good at doing that. And then your mom, mom tells you, why don't you go out and learn for your exams or um, find something to uh, be an apprentice somewhere or go to mm -hmm. study. And you say, um, actually, I'm following my passion, you know. And if you drag that thought through following your passion, it will be really difficult to realize or to just, you know, Pull that emergency brake and say, now I'm going to drop out and I'm not going to follow my passion anymore because it's not working. Mm -hmm. Because any moment that it, it suggests you that 
maybe at some point you will be lucky and you will be able to make this into something where you earn money and um, have their contribute something to society um, and can I think it can become a little bit of um, uh, like a mantra that you keep repeating to yourself and that doesn't give you that clarity where exactly you are in life what possibilities you have around you um, and also allow you to realize them now I think in certain situations if you have say you have a choice between two things um, it's good to think about what exactly you like doing etc and then go for the the stuff that interests you but it's um, I think it's very difficult to it, it's it's also very difficult to realize what your passion is mm -hmm. um, and not even because there's so many things around the world that you haven't seen yet and that maybe you will be led to um, at some point um, but also because you're very unaware of your internal motives I think It's, it's very difficult to analyze yourself like a blank page and see what drives you. Um, yeah, so follow yeah. your passion. I don't know. I, I hope I will never get, give that advice to anyone. Like, I guess for me, it has many things. The truth is in the middle and mm -hmm. you need to strike that delicate balance between being focused on what what are the things that I like what feels right for me but at the same time not be oblivious or um, ignore be ignorant in the face of things mm -hmm. going on around you so that case you presented with that guy just sitting in his room and playing video games he misses out on a lot of things so he has a very mm -hmm. small scope of what are the things that I'm passionate about mm -hmm. yeah exactly you cannot know and um, I guess that's where when as a young person you your call is to go out and try very different things meet a lot of people and um, subconsciously a lot of things will be going on and slowly over time as we said earlier it builds up and then at that one point comes the opportunity and you are ripe mm. to take it and then maybe that saying is uh, in hindsight like okay yeah i followed my passion but no you yeah. did not just follow I mean, your yeah, passion exactly just a bunch of things like really a really interesting story for example about that is how i ended up basically writing my thesis in lebanon and having this realization that i want to work in i want to work some doing something nice mm -hmm. doing something good um and it started out with me fully business mindset doing an internship at a consulting firm and luckily another intern um, now a good friend of mine who is originally from Bonn but studied in Manchester um, I got along really well with um, because he also like he didn't he was different than the other consulting people um, he didn't really like working there And I was good at working there. I was, I think I was respected and uh, I did a really good job. Um, he didn't because he just didn't like the work there. Um, but at some point we were just uh, standing in the elevator and he was like, hey, Paul, what are you doing this summer? And actually I had planned to do a business course at a university in Shanghai or something. So I told him that and he goes, um, what do you think about wiping some Lebanese asses with me? And that thought was so nice that I immediately said, yes, let's do it. And that's how I ended up in Lebanon. But if you had told me to follow my, I don't know, but like it, it led me there, but I did absolutely not follow my passion going to that consulting company. But here I am. But, but then turned out well. what was it that made you take that route? It sounds very passionate to me. I can, I can picture you in that elevator saying, yes, Absolutely. this is I mean, what I want to do. The thing is that maybe at that point in time, it's like, you know, it, it, the, the thing is with um, this mantra of passion following is retrospectively, you can apply it so nicely. Hmm. I can tell you now, you know, I was standing in that elevator and I followed my passion. And I'll just leave out that I was working for four months already at a consulting firm that I did like. 
working for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but retrospectively, sounds very nice. I guess I can use it there. Um, what I, but getting back to your question, what was it that uh, led me to say yes? I guess it was just my um, inherent character jumping out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, of course, it's so hard. And I think we talked about that before, uh, getting to the thinking fast and slow, how we're mm-hmm. so good at making sense of things in hindsight. Mm-hmm. And um I wonder what do you think about um, people having dreams and visions and fantasies? How would you distinguish these three terms or ideas to what is a sensible way of for you? Because that moment obviously was very consequential for you and that was not part of any vision or any in an interview for a new mm-hmm. job, you're asked frequently, so where do you see yourself in two years? And then you're expected to come up with something smart. Yeah. How? What is your vision for yourself? Or do you have this something like this still? How do you think about planning the future or having a, a rough idea of how do I want to feel? How do I want to, who do I want to be? In yeah, I mean... <clears throat> 10 or so years. I... Um... I I don't think I did that ever, planning out my future. And um, the I good thing is... I don't believe you. It, I, really, I don't think I did. I, I mean, I, maybe I did at some points, but um, very fuzzily. Mm-hmm. And this and that I would like to do, or maybe something else, um, but really planning out. And... And I, there's a really nice saying, and I need, I need to dig it up. It's, it's probably by some company that does wall tattoos. Um, the wall tattoos? <laughs> wall tattoos. This really cancer type of thing that you put on your wall. Ah, okay. I'm kidding. It's probably a Chinese philosopher. Um, but the saying is, if you think too deep into the past, you might get depressed. But if you think too far into the future... You might get anxious and for me that's very true mm-hmm. like it triggers anxiety if i think too far into the future mm-hmm. so it it doesn't really help me a lot and you know in in some way the crisis that i went through the little bit of a crisis <clears throat> uh, recently um bef- uh, after i came back from the states was part of me thinking too hard about the future so in one way it's self-care but On the other side, it's also simply not possible to plan out your future. And if it's possible, I I really, uh, I voluntarily resign from that life. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to step out and take my hat if that would be possible, because it's the most boring thing ever. (laughs) You know, I was thinking about um, even short term, I was thinking about, can I go back to Beirut? Um, Will I be able to find a job there maybe or an internship? And then this huge explosion happened. And the Beirut I left is not the Beirut. It's not that Beirut anymore. Um, So even that you can't anticipate. And there's far, far um, more things that can happen. So I think having a vision, I don't know, um, maybe helps. but really planning out your futures, I think it's hardly possible. Mm-hmm. Some things that I do um, randomly is um, it's like thoughts just that just hit me at some point. Um, something like, uh, when do I need to get children? <laughs> and then I'm thinking, like maybe my father was 38. I can totally be 38, maybe like 40. Ah, okay, I still have some time. And then I'll go on with my life. Just like the the small things that just pop up randomly. Mm -hmm. But um, thinking about when do I need... I'm not even sure whether people do that. Maybe people do that. Maybe people Mm -hmm. think, what about I enter a company in 2020, how long does it take me to become a partner? Mm -hmm. It's probably something that people do. I don't know. People do that. But yeah, something like that, oof, very hard. I don't don't think I would want that. Mm -hmm. 
I just uh, recalled, it's there on my couch, the book from Erich Fromm, um, Haben oder Sein, so mm -hmm. meaning owning things, processing or being. Mm -hmm. And he says that at one point that when you think too much about the past or the future, it's that tendency in ours to, we want to own things. Mm -hmm. These are my memories, you know, this is me. This mm -hmm. is, and the future the same. So many things that I cannot control, but somehow I fixate on this idea. I want to own it. I want to mm. become that person. I want to make sure that I become that accomplished, that successful, um, whatever. Yeah. Thinking about why is that and what is it, in your opinion, that people are ultimately afraid of? Because for me, a lot of that is a reaction to it's a, it, it, the, the source of it ultimately is fear. You mean the source of um, anxiety? Yeah, you. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting. Why is it that people are afraid of just being and experimenting? I mean, given that here in Germany you're provided with so much resources and you actually you don't have to care about you don't have to worry about sit being on the street the next mm -hmm. day, but wherever you go, people owning a very nice apartment, they're still afraid of not Absolutely. making it. Yeah, um, I think, you know, a really, this is a really funny thought that I recently had um, is that we're, we're driven. I mean, some people are just, I mean, I don't know, maybe they suffer from disability or something, but some people, they are really in, in, extremely driven by status and money. And it's not that I'm not. Of course I am, we talked about this already, but that it really becomes a single metric of success. Um, in general, I would say, um, and that that's, was a thought that I recently had, um, what, are the, what are the top kind of things that go through my mind right now, what I'm worried about? And I was thinking, um, like one of them absolutely is money. And it's not about the money that I have now. It's about the money that I have later. Like I'm, I was thinking, if I have, it, if I have a child, I need like at least seven to a thousand euros aside on the month, uh, per month. Need to have that. If I have another child, maybe like factor one point five or even doubles, and these kind of things. And then, okay, and if I like, if I'm retiring. I should have a certain amount of money on my bank account so that I'm not broke. Um, all of this leaves out that maybe we'll have a universal basic income at some point. Uh, maybe we'll find other ways to design the lives of people that are not as um, suboptimal as they are now. But what really helped me was to just benchmark, you know, to take out the fear that what that was coming from money. I just benchmarked because I know what my parents earn. I benchmarked um, how much they earn, how much they roughly earned over the last year uh, of the over the last decades, and whether I would say they're doing good. And you know, I never had the feeling. I would actually say I'm probably like I'm really well off. You know, like my family, judging from um, their wealth levels, is just in line with the middle class it's like it's it's in the absolute middle of the middle class if you judge it but the way that you that they make financial decisions is just good they for example they prioritized traveling over cars all mm -hmm. the time like we never had a new car but we did have some really really nice uh, travels to very exotic countries like japan for example mm -hmm. my mom works um, for the japanese television so that's not really exotic. But, and I think also exotic is a little bit of a um, word that we should cut from our vocabulary. I'm sorry okay. for using it. Faraway countries. Faraway countries, yeah. Um, but overall, I would say that they have a very good life and they were able to provide their children with a very good life. Mm -hmm. So I would need roughly that amount of money. And reaching that amount of money is absolutely not a problem. Mm -hmm. Like even if I spend the next days uh, the next years working in a social project that doesn't really pay um, pay off, I can still jump somewhere else and I, I'll, 
I will be able to make that amount of money easily um, with the education that I have. So once you make the fear that you have in certain dimensions more precise, mm -hmm. I think it gets less scary because mm -hmm. then you realize, oh, like I was scared. And I think that's, there's a term um, and I'm, I'm probably misquoting it, um, but it's something like um, fuzzy fears, something like that, undefined fear. Mm -hmm. um, gonna look it up later it's basically you are very anxious about a situation something coming coming up but you haven't really thought through all the different ways that it can go mm -hmm. so you don't really know what you you're scared of you're scared that it goes wrong but you haven't defined what goes wrong actually is mm -hmm. you're just um, you may be just scared of it being different from what it is now yeah i don't know but it help. it really helps to just write it down or do an excel sheet and just or, or just do a brainstorming in your mind to see what exactly would be what be the would be my goal mm -hmm. and um what like what would be the worst case you know mm -hmm. for me the worst case right now is that i would just be completely broke and i will not find a job and i will not find a job that i like doing or i don't know i become depressed or something But that worst case would mean that I will go back to my parents, you know, and I'm going to live there. So it's, you know, not it's not really bad. bad. And, and even if I become very broke at the end of my life, many people that live um, in the village that I come from and also many other people I think that I've met do not have a lot of money, actually have very little money. And I wouldn't say that they're too... Um, I wouldn't say that they're too too bad off. Like I know people who earn uh, a lot of cash, and they probably have worse life quality. But to I mean to do that, like to narrow down what exactly you need, and in a way, this um, when when is the last point that I can get a child is something like that. You know, it's quite oh man, when when will I become a parent? And the simple thought of what's a decent like when is it still okay like when would i still be okay with having a child and you narrow it down to maybe like 38 that's in more than 10 years you can do a lot of stuff a lot of stuff until then totally fine <laughs> but the thing is if you work in a like if you have been brainwashed to think that for example cash is everything maybe you work at Deutsche bank or something This won't help you because if i tell you what exactly are you looking for you'll say uh, maybe like i want to be a millionaire by the age of 30 maybe i want to be like 15 20 millions by 36 or by the age of 40 something like that you really have a problem of benchmarking when is when when is it enough you know it's the metric itself that you're optimizing Not, yeah. not anything that's associated with it. Mm. But and, again... And then, and then you're, what you said earlier, you start confusing the proxy with the thing that you're actually trying to get. Yeah, you're working with a proxy. But again, this would be much more credible if I was an investment banker myself. But I'm not. And if I was, I probably wouldn't have these thoughts. Or vice versa. You know? And I would bet that if you were an investment banker, then there would be other things below the surface that would work in that direction, making you work these shifts and being fulfilled with doing it. Mm. I think it's from the outside or just reading a short, even an autobiography of a person only gets you to a certain extent understanding why their life mm -hmm. makes sense for them. And I think that's, um, we get a lot from our parents. And when you said that earlier, I feel a lot in our generation, we are scared that hey, my parents, they did decently and I, I would love to sustain that living standard without having challenged, hey, if I earn less than my parents, if I live in a smaller house, if I move to a less um, prosperous neighborhood, would that still work out? Would I find other places and other um, situations where I can fulfill that 
desire to ah shit i'm not getting that right that um so let me put it to very concrete say you like to do sports and by coincidence because your parents play tennis you play tennis mm-hmm. all your life and then you think okay really it's just tennis for me i can only do tennis but no probably you could also do um, i don't know table tennis or you could play soccer you could play basketball it's these things underlying it being part of a team being mm. exhausted enjoying that feeling after um, you worked out and i think with sports it's quite obvious to all of us mm. with the ur- we are the urban sports club generation so i think we are quite flexible about this but then as you said challenging these other assumptions in our lives that we don't know why we think consulting is something worth aspiring it's just we were told so because we were part of a business school mm. because they show up and they have smart people on these career events that present themselves well and you think hey man when i when i'm grown up i want to be just like this dude there mm. um and really detaching the the fulfillment because i strongly believe that you can be a consultant you can be an investment banker you can be working for a mining company and you can be highly fulfilled absolutely yeah totally it just you need to ask yourself um and as you said map out these assumptions and worst cases and make it concrete to not be all the time bothered by these existential fears that don't lead you anywhere that actually take you take away from you the capability the ability to to think creatively mm. and for me a lot is you as you said you cannot plan many things in life but you need to have some trust that whatever comes your way you will come up with a creative solution that then gets you one step closer to where you want to be yeah i mean the human human beings are solution machines yeah i, I would say and there's this um i don't know who it was as einstein i think einstein he's highly overquoted mm. but he said that humanity started to worship the servant and not the master so the servant being our analytical thinking the mm-hmm. executing mind and that creative um, subconscious part of our mind that is actually when you look at people that are accomplished that are self-confident this is where the power comes from if you can align these two mm. Now, we took quite uh, a journey and... Um, quite a detour. Qu- quite, no, I wouldn't call it a detour. I hope that uh, there is uh, something in this for our listeners or mm-hmm. many things. At the end, we like to ask... So I, I would like to ask you two questions. Um, being afraid that the first one will get us on another detour <laughs> but i'm willing to I take will the make it short what is something that makes you hopeful every day man hopeful every friggin day no it's hard I, just in <laughs> some a, days i get out without any hope in, in a thought that you have when you because in the news we all know yeah, this like a lot. i think great a great thought max actually and um, that i learned over your reading reading my um one of my favorite books i would say also the most recent book that i read is um and i fail at this also when i talk about how maybe an investment banker or a consultant thinks Uh, like i i i absolutely fail at this rule but what makes me hopeful is that everyone or almost everyone thinks the same way as me like we're all human beings we really don't have that much of a naturally born uh, capacity to, to become sociopaths or um or psychopaths so it's fair to assume that pretty much everyone you meet feels the same and thinks the same roughly as you do mm-hmm. And I think that's an extremely powerful thought. And you notice it when you walk around the street and you randomly smile at people. Because most people will smile back. And you just forget all too often because it gets, you know, it's, 
get put gets put into your mind also from reading the news and stuff that most people are the same way you are and you would probably say of yourself that you're a good person so it's it's very fair to assume that others are the same that's something that makes me hopeful couldn't agree more great thought now we want to know what that book is that would yeah it's called question. humankind 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 it's great Rutger Bregman um, Dutch history uh, Dutch um, a history uh, researcher or professor, uh, researcher, I guess, historian, um, wrote another book, Utopia for Realists. Um, ah, okay, I heard of that one. Great, great person. I, I would like to meet him. He seems so cool, down to earth. Okay, he's, so I think Rutger he's, like, he's like 31 or something. Yeah, Rutger Bregman. Rutger Bregman. Okay, so we reach out to him and send this episode to him. Yeah, please do. Maybe we can arrange for an interview. Paul. It uh, it was a blast having you. Yeah, I, you, you I were just that we were just scrapping the second question. Huh? We we're just scrapping the second second question. The second question. I thought there was a second question you wanted to ask. That was the one with the book. Ah, okay. So yeah, that was already we, we covered that. Nice. Um, great. Yeah, we thanks you... for inviting me over. I feel like I I didn't really know why. <laughs> I think, <laughs> but I think you must have seen something in my unqualified comments here. That, that's a good question actually for us to think about why did we invite you i so i can speak for myself i feel that the situation you are in right now after cdtm mit and now having to decide do i go which way do i take um and even for everybody listening after graduating from university i think this the, this point you again take very take a big decision mm. and having someone on the show who has done a lot of things and is now at this point it's just a good person to a, a suitable person for listeners to hopefully oh, oh we see we I didn't get to crack a single inappropriate joke okay now's your last chance I can't do inappropriate they need to fit into the storyline to like very uh, embarrassing for How everyone come on? now now you teased us one joke and you're basically leading up to a mom joke max <laughs> why is that <laughs> it's, it's the okay default. give us a mom joke and we close it with a mom joke so thank you to all yeah. for bearing with us that long i hope uh, we hope there were some insights in this for you your mom hopes there's some we insights link all, for you <laughs> we link all the the materials or books uh, we mentioned in the show notes and um yeah, have a good time. Each other Stay healthy. And now you get to hear Paul's best mom joke. Paul. That was my mom joke. I just integrated it into the context. Okay. <laughs> How are you saying? Paul is... Wie sagt man? Is... Um, not blushing. Um, is... Snitching? Snitching. Maybe. Paul is snitching. All right. <laughs> Great. Everybody. Thanks. Have a good time. Stay healthy. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.